Hi, I'm Wayne Heinsohn, the pastor of Grace Church Australia. Thanks so much for checking out this podcast. We hope it is inspirational and it equips you to make known the name of Jesus. You can stay connected with us during the week by going to gracegathering.online. We can all have times in life when things are tough, can't we? We go through seasons where we've got unexpected bad news. Sometimes, you know, we pray those prayers full of expectation and they seemingly go unanswered. We've got some plans in place and we're traveling down that path and then suddenly, hmm, that plan didn't kind of turn out how we thought it was going to turn out. And really, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what position you hold, it doesn't matter how much money you have, we will all go through times when we face challenges in life, when um, the picture that we create doesn't actually reflect the reality of what life actually looks like. And so what I want to do today is I kind of want to speak into that. And uh, my message is called, Where Are You Looking? Where are you looking? is what I want to speak to you today because experience has taught me across many, many years and especially over the last few weeks in the Heinsohn household that where we look actually helps us determine how we navigate through those tough times. So where we look can make the journey full of encouragement and expectation or it can make the journey full of disappointment and discouragement. And so I want to sort of um, go back to Haggai chapter 2, um, which I spoke a message um, a couple of weeks ago, and I sort of want to do a prequel to that message, if you will. But if you've got your Bibles, Haggai chapter 2 is where we're going to be in the first few verses of those. If you have missed that last message, this doesn't really link to it, but it might help you to give you some context. You can find the message at um, gracegathering.online. So I want to give you some background, I want to give you some context so that we actually understand what's been going on as we get to Haggai chapter 2. And so as I mentioned last time in chapter 1, we see that the Judean people, God's people, they've come out of captivity, they've been in captivity for 60 years and they finally come out of captivity and they have been instructed to build a new temple. So uh, the temple that Solomon built obviously has been destroyed and God says to his people, all right, now that you're out of captivity, it's time to actually build this new temple. The problem is that God's people, well, they're just not actually excited about that prospect at all. They spent 60 years in captivity. They, they um, are wrestling with God in terms of what's actually happening and whether they actually want to go and do what God said. And how many of us know that sometimes doing what God said isn't necessarily the easy thing? But so they're trying to decide, do we want to obey God in this? And then they get to a point where they think, yeah, we might do that. And then there's a period of 16 years where the Samaritans are arguing with the emperor of the day. And they're saying, the Samaritans are saying, look, they're not allowed to build the temple. And so there's this period of 16 years where nothing happens. And then a new emperor comes on board, his name is Darius, and he actually says, he goes through the history, he says, look, God's people, good to go. You're good to build the temple, I can see what was decided previously, but at this stage they don't have the strength, they don't have the courage to actually continue. And then we saw in the last couple of verses of Haggai chapter 1, they get a touch of God's power. The Holy Spirit comes upon them and they go from a place of disappointment and discouragement to a place of enthusiasm for the work that is to begin. 
Okay, so that's a very quick summary of Haggai chapter 1. I encourage you, as always, to uh, do your own reading. So I want to pick it up today in Haggai chapter 2, and we're going to begin at verse 17. So, uh, sorry, verse 1. So this is about a month or so after the end of Haggai chapter 1. So it's not a long period of time. Verse 1 begins like this. Then on October 17 of that same year, so a month or so later, the Lord sent another message through the prophet Haggai. Say this to Zerubbabel, the governor or the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, the high priest, and to the remnant of God's people there in the land. Does anyone remember this house, this temple, in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. But now the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Jeshua, the high priest. Be strong, all you people still left in the land. And now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid." I want to say to you, church, as we begin, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. So as we read this, as I'm kind of reading this during the week, I'm I'm painting this picture of what the the Judeans are experiencing. I I can imagine that, you know, they're, they're getting the tools ready for work. They're getting all the materials they need to begin rebuilding this temple. It's been 60 years plus another 16 years, so it's close to 80 years since they've had a temple. They're enthusiastic about what God's doing. So I can just imagine, you know, it's this construction site, you know, and some this all sort of commotion is taking place as they're getting ready um, to, to actually build the temple. Because they've been through a lot of discouragements. They've been through a lot of setbacks. A lot of things have actually happened that they've had to navigate through. And finally, they're ready to go. Finally, as the prophet Haggai speaks this out, they're like, yes, amen, God. We're ready to start rebuilding the temple. The word has touched their hearts. It's breathed new life into them. Their, their, their discouraged spirits have been emplaced with, with enthusiastic um, spirits. And so they get their hammers and their chisels and they start getting to work. But then according to their calendar, over the course of the next month, there are four religious festivals that stop the work. So they start and then they've got to stop. And then they've got a couple of days in between festivals, so they start and then they've got to stop. So it's this stop, start, stop, start, stop, start thing that is actually taking place. And the momentum that they had disappears. And so what actually happens is the discouragement returns because they thought they were moving along and now they're discouraged again. And I don't know about you, but I've been in that place several times. I'm sure maybe you have as well. The last year or so, you know, as we, we shared a few weeks ago, we've been wrestling with God in terms of what are his plans for Grace Church? What are his plans for my family? What are his plans for your family, for your marriage, for your kids? Whatever is ahead. And in amongst all of that, There's been moments of great joy. There's been moments of celebration. But there's also been moments of discouragement. There's been moments of weeping. There's been moments of disappointment. I'm not sure if you've had a season where you've gone through that in life, where you felt disappointed with what's actually happening, what's been going on around you. I know after a couple of weeks ago as we shared the news, 
that there's an obvious disappointment in some people, you know, and a, and a discouragement in, in a way. You're not sure about what's next. You're not sure about well, what does the future look like? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for our family? What does it mean for our church? Am I going to like the new people? I don't know. I hope so. They're God's people, so I hope you will. So let me ask you this. Are you feeling a little discouraged right now? Are you like the Judeans, that you're feeling a little bit discouraged, that there's some momentum that's taking place and then something comes along and it just kind of knocks you to the ground and you, you get discouraged? You feel like you're going somewhere and then all of a sudden you've got to stop and you've got to go backwards and you're just getting a little bit weary because it's go, stop, go, stop, go, stop. That's what's happening here. And this past week, I've had several times when I've actually felt like that. We had some news come through during the week that was pretty disappointing. You know, it was just something we'd been praying about and it was pretty disappointing. And I was confused. There was a part of me that was angry. But most of all, I was just sad. I was just sad because I thought, I thought God was in this. And then it didn't actually work out the way that I thought it would. And so it took me to, for a couple of days, it took me to this... Um, this dark place where I was kind of just really doing that wrestling with God and saying, what's going on and stuff like that. And then really I had to preach today's message to myself. And here's what I had, and I'll read what I wrote. Here's what I had to ask myself. Wayne, where are you looking? Are you looking at the disappointment or are you seeing the Lord, how the Lord is refining the path ahead for you? Are you wallowing in your perceived loss or are you excited about what this means for what is still to come? And I can get to a place where I allow discouragement and disappointment to really get me down. And so I had to have these God conversations, these hard conversations, but they're necessary. I had to change my focus because I know that God is in control. Hopefully you know that as well. In the depths of my spirit, I know that the best is still to come for me and the best is still to come for my family and the best is still to come for this church. I know that without a shadow of a doubt. Sometimes I forget. Sometimes I allow the disappointment and discouragement to cloud my vision of that, but I know that it is true. And it's nothing about what I think or I believe, and it's all about the words that God has spoken over our family and over this church. God loves you and he has nothing but the best for you. God loves his church, and he has nothing but the best for his church. I hope you can agree with me on that. Now, it might not look like you thought it would, often doesn't, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong, it doesn't mean it's bad, it doesn't mean that God's not in it, that it's not from him, it just means that it looks different than you thought it would. Because here's what I want you to remember, and I'm sure some of you know this, God is good. God has always been and always will be good. So why is that any different today? Why is that any different when you go through a season or a time when you are discouraged, when you are disappointed with something? Why has God stopped being good in your life? He hasn't. You're just looking at the wrong thing. You're not looking at the goodness of God. You're looking at the disappointment and discouragement. And that's kind of what's happening here today. The Judeans are looking at the wrong thing. I love in verse 5 
I'm going to start at verse 5 and then we'll go backwards because there's some reassuring words in verse 5. It says this, My spirit remains among you. The spirit of God has not gone anywhere. Even in the deep dark valley, the spirit of God is there among you. It does not matter what you are going through. God is reminding his people through the prophet. Haggai is reminding you and me that he remains with us. If you're on a medical journey that was unexpected, God is there with you. He's doing the journey with you. He's with you as you wait for the promise to be fulfilled. He is there with you in the highs and the lows and the mountaintop and in the valley. He remains among you. And he is with you and me during this season for Grace Church. He hasn't left. He's still here. I can feel his presence with us this morning. He remains among you. The problem, though, that we face, and it's one that we see with the Judeans, is that we're often looking at the wrong thing. We're often looking at the wrong thing. We know, I think, if you've been in church and know your Bible for any length of time, we know intellectually, you know, that God remains with us. But sometimes the outworking of that, the physical reality of that is very, very different. And so we start looking at the wrong thing. And this is what the Judeans are doing. We should be keeping our eyes firmly fixed on God and what he is doing in here and now. But sometimes what we actually do is we're actually looking back. We're looking back to what was and we're making this comparison to what is. And so we can get, particularly as we get older in life, we can look back to the good old days to the glory days, and we can pine for what was. And we see this in the Judeans. They're looking back into history. They're looking back 86 years ago, and they're thinking, hey, we had a glorious temple before. We had this glorious temple before we were taken into captivity. So I've got three points for you today if you're taking notes. The first of my points is this. Glance backwards. Glance backwards. Underline that word glance. I'll come and unpack it for you in a minute. So we read in verse 3. This is what God says to his people. Does anyone remember this house, this temple, in its former splendor? Now, they've been in captivity for 60 years. There's been a 16-year period. So, you know, it's close to a century since they were in captivity. And there are actually some people that remember the temple that Solomon built. They remember the splendor of the former temple. And I thought, well, how awesome was this temple that we speak about? So let me give you a bit of a picture. It was twice the size of the tabernacle. It was 28 meters long, it was nine meters wide, it was 14 meters high. I was gonna do that in feet, but then I translated to metres, but if you need me to do it in feet, come and see me after service and I'll do the calculation for you. It was built with white limestone. There were pine floorboards. There were cedar-covered walls. The exterior was overlaid in gold. That's just one part. We haven't even got into the holy place of the Holy of Holies. If you read through Scripture, they were even more magnificent than the external, exquisite building that was there. And so now, try and put yourself in the shoes of the Judean people. They have seen this temple. 
they have seen how magnificent it was. They could remember this glorious sight and all the beauty of the former temple. So they're looking back and they're thinking, oh, but it used to be like this. It used to be like this. God was doing this back in the day. And so they're looking backwards. And we can do that as well. The Judeans are looking back and going, well, all the nations would come to the temple and they would all worship God. They would all come together. His Shekinah glory that I spoke about a couple of weeks ago, it was there in the temple. That's, as they look back, that's what they're actually seeing. And sometimes that's what we can do. You ever looked back at the good old days? You know, the good old days when you could walk up a set of stairs and not be exhausted? See, John's nodding his head. He's like, yeah, I remember those days. You know, there was real blessings. There were abundant salvations. There was revival, the great crusades, you know, the, the revered evangelists, the huge number of people coming to Christ. We can look back at all of that in the good old days and think, how good were those days of yesteryear? How good were the days of yesteryear? But then... We look at today and we look at the times that we are living in. And here's what we can see depending on where we're looking. We can compare the good old days to today and here's what we can see. People who previ previously professed Christ are walking away from him. And that can bring discouragement. We can look today and we can look at the statistics that tell us church attendance is declining. And that can bring discouragement. You know that statistically now a regular church attendee is someone who comes every four to six weeks that's a regular attendee so we can look at that and it can bring discouragement we can look at the world and go well it's more secular i think than it's ever been and it seems to be moving further and further away from jesus as their lord and savior and it can bring discouragement to you and to me but can i give you a truth that might be just a little bit uncomfortable the good old days aren't coming back. The good old days aren't coming back. And I'll tell you in a couple of minutes, I actually think we're living in the good old days. And I'll tell you why. We'll get there in a minute. They've been assigned to history. We can't bring them back. So by all means, let's glance backwards. Let's celebrate what God has done. Let's celebrate the great movements of God. Let's celebrate everything that has happened in the past. Let's celebrate the magnificent temples like we see here. Be thankful for the evangelists, the great evangelists, for their contribution to the kingdom of God. Let's do all of that. But it has to be a backwards glance. Now here's what that word glance means, and I used it deliberately. It means to look quickly or briefly quickly or briefly it's a quick turn of the head it's not a gaze my focus here on what was it's a quick turn of the head it's a quick look backwards a short remembrance and then we move on we don't camp in what was we don't camp in what was has been we don't put an anchor there and we don't stop there we glance backwards we're thankful for it but then we need to change our focus we need to remind ourselves, what should I be looking at? Because if we're always looking backwards, we long for what was. And what we actually do is we open a door for the enemy to come in 
and to bring discontent and to bring discouragement and to bring disappointment. Because sometimes memories can be encouraging. They can be great. I received a notification on Facebook this week, you know, one of those memories, six years ago, you know, a photo of the Heinsohn family. And we were at Del Grosso's Amusement and Splash Park in Tipton, Pennsylvania. That's where we were. And there was a photo of Tobias and Leilani out the front. And I asked the kids, you remember this? They're like, no. But it's good because the photo, you know, was the memory of that. And I was thankful for that. And I'm thankful for the blessing that we had that on that trip we could go to that place. Quick glance backwards. But I wasn't going, oh, gee, I wish we were there again. I wish we were doing this, wish we were doing that. I didn't camp there. I was celebrating what was. And then I moved forward. It was a fun time for our family, thankful for it. But that's not where we are today. So memories can be encouraging. But I want to just say as well that memories can also be discouraging. Memories can actually be a bit like what the Judeans are doing as they look back to the former glorious temple. Okay, they dwelt needlessly on the past blessings rather than what was happening right there. And so what it actually does is it actually opens the door for the enemy to bring in those, that discouragement. It's his subtle plan for you and for me. Because what he actually wants to do, he wants to minimise what God's doing now and make us think that what has happened in the past is much better than what's actually happening now. And so we can look back, you know, at, at the great evangelists. We can look at, you know, um, Moody or um, Calvin or Billy Graham or whoever it might be and go, oh, wasn't it fantastic what God was doing? Yes, it was fantastic. But we'll see in a moment, God's, God's still amongst us. He is still working. He is still doing the great things. When we gaze our... F- when our gaze is fixed backwards, we miss what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so I think here in this book of Haggai, we see that they've got some enthusiasm. They've started to get to the place where they're enthusiastic about rebuilding the temple. And then the enemy comes in and goes, oh, but what about the old days? What about the old temple? This temple's nothing like that. This temple's not going to be that magnificent. And so he starts to bring that discontent and starts to bring in that discouragement. What he's trying to do is minimise the power of God at work today by bringing discouragement because today doesn't look like the good old days. Okay, He's trying to extinguish the flame of God that was beginning in the hearts of the people here in the book of Haggai and that should be in you and I for what he is doing. Satan is trying to use the past as an anchor to keep you and me distracted and discouraged from what the Lord is doing today. I want to want to say this, don't let him do that. Don't let him steal from you what the Holy Spirit wants to do today because you're looking backwards. Okay, glance backwards. Don't fall victim to the enemy's scheming ways. Point number 2 is this. Embrace now. Glance backwards. Take a quick look backwards. But embrace now, embrace now, embrace now. What is the Lord doing right now? Because despite all the gloom and doom that is around us, and if you want to hear it, you can, despite all the negative talk about the church and its decline, about people walking away from Jesus, about all of that sort of thing, 
here's a truth that I want you to grab hold of. God is still working. God is still God. And he is still moving. He has not stopped. He is still doing all of that and so much more than you and I can even imagine. And so I love how the prophet Haggai addresses this in the second part of verse 3. He says to the Judean people, how in comparison does it look to you now? He's talking about this new temple. It must seem like nothing at all. He's actually addressing the older people. And he's saying, look, I know that you know about the previous temple and this new one that you've been tasked to build must seem like nothing at all. How does it look in comparison? He acknowledges that there's this stark contrast, this stark difference between the old and the new between the old glorious temple and this new one that is not only smaller, but here's some other differences about it. It doesn't have the ornate features of the former temple. It doesn't have that. It doesn't house the Ark of the Covenant. It doesn't exist in this new temple. The holy fire of God is missing. The spirit of prophecy that was present in the previous temple is not currently in this new temple that they are building. And so you can understand from this older generation, their discouragement at what is actually happening. And so he says, well, how does it look now? In comparison, how does it look now? It's almost like a redundant question. Because I imagine if, you know, you're talking to the older people there, they're going, well, what do you expect us to say? It doesn't look anything like the former temple. We've known better than this from God. He's given us better in the past. Why is he now giving us something inferior? This new temple you're asking us to build, it looks nothing like the old one. It's second best in comparison. Two things, the danger of comparison. Don't ever compare. Don't compare yourself to someone else and your journey to their journey because they're not the same and they're not supposed to be the same. Second thing I want to say very quickly, nothing is inferior. If God is in it, it is not inferior. God does not do inferior. But maybe for some of you, you're feeling a little bit like this with where this church is right now. You're looking backwards. You're thinking about the glory days of Grace Church, whatever they look like, you know, in your memory, what God has already done. And you're thinking, well, what's going to happen now? What's going to happen as we head into a season of transition? What does the future look like? Well, I want to hopefully encourage you from the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 3, verse 12 hopefully will help you to change your focus from the past to the present. Now, remember I said last time that to fully understand what Haggai is writing, you need to also read Ezra. They sort of go hand in hand. But Ezra chapter 3, verse 12, says this. But many of the older priests, the Levites and old leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however were shouting for joy. Let's look at the contrast that is there. You have a group of people that are weeping aloud. You have another group of people that are shouting for joy. They're both seeing the same thing. They're both seeing exactly the same thing. But their response to what they're seeing is very, very different. Okay, there is... The older generation, they can remember the first temple. They can remember all its glory. And so as they look at what is before them, 
They agree with what the prophet Haggai asked. Yeah, it does seem like nothing at all. It does seem like nothing at all. But, and I don't want you to miss this, there are others who are shouting for joy. Why are they shouting for joy? They're shouting for joy because they are a younger generation that has never seen the previous temple. They may have heard about the previous temple from stories that are handed down through generations, but they have never actually seen the old temple. So they have nothing to compare it to. So all they know is what is before them. All they're looking at is what is before them. And what do they see before them? They see opportunity. They see opportunity. They see a call of God on their lives to build a new temple. They go, well, we don't have to worry about the old temple and what it was like, but we're here right now, and God has called us to build a new temple, a new place where the nations can gather, a new place where people can come and experience the glory of God. And that brings them to an overwhelming place of joy because the opportunity to build something new excites them. They're like, oh, we're so thankful that we have the opportunity to do that. The king has given them the go-ahead to build a new temple, and so this younger generation says, do you know what? We get to build the house of the Lord. How awesome is that? Now, I want to say at this point, this is not an age thing. This is not about older generations, younger generations. This is about what you're looking at. Because the older generation, if they weren't looking backwards, if they were actually embracing the now that was in front of them, they too would have been celebrating with joy, going, do you know what? We get to build a new temple for the generations to come. That's what we get to do. Yeah, all this stuff happened in the past, but we've forgotten all of that. That's in the past. We can't change that. So we're going to embrace now and we're going to embrace the opportunity that is before us. And the opportunity is to build a new temple. That is the source of their joy, the opportunity that have, they've been given. What is our opportunity right now, church? Are we looking at an alleged church in decline? Is that what we're looking at? Or are we seeing an opportunity to reach a generation that don't know Jesus and haven't grown up in Sunday school? That is the opportunity that is before us if we choose to look at that. If you know Jesus, then you have the answer to their questions. If you know Jesus, then you know the person that they are looking for. They just don't know what they're looking for. They're searching for something. The younger generations, they're searching for something. They just don't know exactly what it is. And I just think that's a fantastic thing for you and for me, that we have that opportunity. For the Judean people, it's going to look different than it did with Solomon's temple. It just is. It's not the same. They're not being tasked to build the same temple. It's not about repeating the past. It's about building something new for the future to come. And so we have to always remember that. It's going to look a little bit different. It might not be as glorious as it was in the past. But this new temple that they are building in this church that God is building today in 2023, it is still a place for people to encounter Jesus and for their lives to be transformed. It might not look like it did in the past. But one of the things that saddens me is that there are a lot of beautiful church buildings in Europe that are empty, that are tourist attractions and that's it. Having a big, beautiful building, a big temple, 
is not what it's about. It's about who resides in the temple. And his name is behind me. His name is Jesus. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. This younger generation, they didn't share the disappointment of the older generation. And so I love in verse 4 of Haggai chapter 2. Here's what we read. But now, the Lord says. And now, the Lord says. Now, church. Now, church. Now, all you people still left in the land. All you people still with breath in their lungs. But now. Not what was happening in the past. It's not about what was happening in the past. It's about embracing now. But now. Not what I did yesterday. Not what God did yesterday. But what is he doing now? What can you do now? What can he do through you now? But now. I am the God of now. He is the God of now. He is still working today. He is still the King of kings. He is still the Lord of lords. He is still the one true God. He is still the saviour of the world. That is not something from the past. That is now. That is now. That is who he is now. And then he says this. Get to work for I am with you. I know some of you are retired. And that might be a physical retirement in terms of your working life. But as ambassadors of Christ, you are never retired. You are never retired. And so God tells us, get to work. Now get to work. Get to work. Because the work of the church hasn't stopped. The Great Commission hasn't been fulfilled. While people still don't know Jesus, there is still much work for the church to do. So I want you to encourage yourself in the past, but don't stand, don't stay there, don't camp there, don't anchor there, because there is a generation today that does not know Jesus. They are your friends, they are your neighbours, they are your children, they are your grandchildren, and they are our community, and they do not know Jesus. And they are not going to get to know him if we as the church don't get to work and do what we are called to do. Because the sad truth is this, the great evangelists and the great ministers and the great pastors of the past, they're all in heaven now. They're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. But we are called to. We are called to be a church that embraces now. They're not going to save our family, our friends and our community. That's what we are called to do. We are called to do that. We are called to make Jesus known. That's what we are called to do. And that is independent of whoever is leading from our context, Grace Church. That call has not changed and does not change. Making Jesus known is the call of every single person who calls Grace Church home. It's the mandate of this church to make Jesus known at every opportunity. If you know him as your Lord and your Saviour, that is what you are called to do. Embrace the now, church. Let's choose to adopt the same spirit that these young Judeans had. They saw the opportunity that was before them. They glanced backwards, looked briefly at what was and said, okay, that's fantastic, but we're going to grab hold of what is now and we're going to embrace that, we're going to celebrate that and we're going to celebrate what God is doing in 2023 because he is still doing things. That's what we are called to do. 
We are called to get to work, to make Jesus known, to share the gospel, to further the kingdom, to declare biblical truth, to represent him as his ambassadors, where to look after widows and orphans, where to shout down the lies of the enemy, where to walk in the victory that we have in Jesus, and that is just the start of what his church is called to do. Embrace what we are called to do, because that is who we are as the church. And the King of glory is amongst us. He is amongst us. He is amongst us, church. It's not a time for discouragement and gloom and doom, no matter what anyone says. It's a time for joy and jubilation because lives are still being transformed. People are still being healed. Communities are still being changed because Jesus is amongst them. The king continues to reign. He continues to reign. And I think this. This is just my thought. I think people in the future will look back on these days that you and I are living in and I think they'll say, those were the good old days. Because I know that there are many people in this church and many people that I know and people I don't know who are speaking it out prophetically that we are on the verge of seeing a mighty move of God in our community, our nation, and the nations of the world. And I don't want us to miss it because we're looking at the wrong thing. I want us to embrace what God is actually doing now. The glory days aren't behind us. The glory days are here, and we are part of it, church. Embrace that. Embrace that. Final point for you as we finish. Focus forward. So glance backwards. Have a quick look back. Embrace now and what God is doing in the present, the opportunity that is before us. But let's also focus forward. Let's focus forward for what is to come. As we go back to verse 5, we read this. My spirit remains among you just as I promised when you came out of Egypt, just as I promised. God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. When he says something will happen, it will happen. That is who he is. That is his DNA. It might take longer than we would like it to take. The journey might not look like we thought it might actually look like, but he is faithful to his word. Last week, we celebrated my son's birthday. His name is Tobias. He's 11 years old. 17 years before he was born, we were given a promise that we would have a son. And for 17 years, we stood on that promise. It was very clear. And God showed me very clearly this picture of a white boy. So I've got, for those that don't know, three adopted children with brown skin but a white boy on my shoulder and he said, that's your promise, that's your son. And across 17 years and a roller coaster ride that was, we clung to that promise because we know that God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. And he celebrated his 11th birthday last week and I was just reminded every time, wow God, you are faithful to your promises. Now, did I want to wait 17 years? Did Jackie want to wait 17 years? No. Didn't want to wait that long at all. But that was God's perfect timing. And on reflection, you know, we can actually understand that. 
But what the Judeans were doing here in the book of Haggai, they're actually pining for a great temple because that was the promise that the Lord had given them. He'd promised them a great temple. But the issue that we actually see in them is that they actually wanted it quickly. They wanted it here, they wanted it now. They didn't want to go through the journey that God actually had for them. And we can be like that sometimes as well. God speaks a promise or someone speaks a promise out over us and we're like, all right, I'll grab that, that'll happen tomorrow. But often it's not tomorrow and often it's not the next week or the week after or the month after. Sometimes these promises are years and years and years in the making. And the Judeans didn't actually understand how the Lord was working in their situation. And so they couldn't see the progression. They couldn't see that what was actually taking place before them was part of a much bigger picture. And so that fire of God that was in their belly, that's why it just started to gradually disappear and it started to gradually diminish. And so Haggai reminds them of the prophetic promise here in verse 5. He says, hey guys, remember? God has spoken a promise over you. You are God's children. He has spoken a promise about this future kingdom. And this temple that I have asked you to build is a very important element to that. And so, you know, he, he references Isaiah and Micah, and we don't have time to go through that. But he actually reminds the people, the, um, Haggai reminds the people about the new Jerusalem that is to come. And it's from this new Jerusalem that the whole world will be redeemed. And so this temple that they are asked to be build is actually a key part of God's plan for the future. And if they're not focusing forward and thinking about, well, how does this fit into what God has spoken prophetically in terms of the future of his people, then they'll actually lose sight of their purpose for building the temple. And that's a little bit what happens. And so Haggai gently reminds them of the promises that have been spoken previously it's a promise of a bright future, and we get a picture of it, just a sense of that in verse 19. Here's what we read. I am giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. Have you loved that promise? You haven't sown the seed yet, but God has already spoken the promise into existence. He's already spoken it into existence. Then he says, you have not yet harvested your grain and your grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates and olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But don't look at what has not happened. Look at what God is doing here and now and what is to come in the future. That's why we focus forward. But from this day onwards, I will bless you. I will bless you. And I believe that's a word for us as a church. I believe it's a word for you. There is a harvest to come. There is an outpouring of his blessing. There is salvation in our community. That is the promise of the Lord and that is what we look forward to. We focus forward when it comes to that. So as we finish this morning, church, I want you to remember the foundations of the past because they are important. What has gone before us is important. We don't dismiss it. We don't deny it. We don't ignore it. It's important, but we don't long for it. We don't look backwards and go, oh, I wish that we could be back there because we can't be back there. We're not called to be back there. That was not our time to be his ambassadors. Our time is right here, right now, July 2023. Let's embrace and be thankful for what the Lord is doing right now because it's part of his plan. It's part of his plan for you, it's part of his plan for me, it's part of his plan for his church. And let's look forward 
with expectation and anticipation to our new Jerusalem, to the new thing that God has for us. Our time when a mighty move of God transforms communities, it transforms nations, it transforms um, our nation in the name of Jesus. That's what is to come. And you should be excited about that because I am excited about it. I'm expecting for it. But a lot like the Judean people here, we need to make a choice because our choices matter. The prophet Haggai has to remind God's people of this. They could have chosen to be obedient and do what they are being called to do and rebuild the temple or they could have allowed their discouragement to actually stop them from what God is actually calling them to do, to become a blockage for his plans for the future. And our choice is likewise, church. We can choose to obey what God is calling us to do, no matter how difficult that means, no matter if it means stepping away from something you love and something that you feel honoured to do. You can choose to obey what God is asking you to do, or... You can choose to ignore his calling. You can choose to ignore what he's speaking to you and maintain the status quo. It's up to you to decide that. My hope, my prayer, is that you would be motivated to action, that you would choose to say, do you know what, God, I might not understand it all, but I'm going to embrace now. I'm going to embrace what you're doing. I'm going to embrace what you're saying to me, and I'm just going to grab hold of that because I know that you are with me, that you are amongst us, and I'm going to go forward in obedience to what you're saying because I know that your plans are a whole lot better than my plans, and you've already figured out the path ahead of me, and I've just got to take one step at a time. That's all we all need to do. That's what we need to do. Final thought for you. Jesus has always been and will always be the hope of the world. Always has been, always will be. And that's why I say that the good days of the church are not behind us. But the good days of the church are still to come. No matter the season, no matter the circumstance, no matter how discouraged we may feel at any point of time, we need to remind ourselves and ask ourselves, where am I looking? Because the king will return. He is the king of kings. His name is Jesus. And he is the saviour of the world. To hear more podcasts from Grace Church Australia, make sure you subscribe and stay connected by going to gracegathering.online.